Welcome to the Higher Potential Living Podcast, where we discuss improving quality of life by exploring mind, body, and spirit through a mindful lens. Here's your host, Jason Marichello. Hello, and thanks for joining me. On today's conversation, I got to speak with Bhakti Marga Swami, who is also popularly known as the Walking Monk. And he's known as the Walking Monk because he has spent a lot of his time as a monk walking. He's walked across Canada four times, walked across the United States once. And in this conversation, not only do we talk about the insights that come from undergoing those kinds of different self-explorations, but Bhakti Margaswamy has been a monk since 1973. So it was really interesting talking to someone about a different view altogether of what success means as a human being. We often associate it with monetary gain or accumulation of possession and all this kind of stuff. So to have a conversation with someone who has a completely different perspective was really refreshing. I know I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you do as well. Hello, Bhakti Marga Swami. How are you doing today? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Thank you for asking. Thank you so much for joining me today. Those that are listening, they don't know that we just had a, a little bit of fun even just getting this podcast episode started. So it's going on a, a great note to begin with. Um, before we jump into all of the many questions that I have for you in the limited time, I was wondering if you could start by just explaining uh, your name and what it what it means to everyone that's listening. Sure. Well, back in 1984, I took a formal initiation as a Swami. And so the title means one who is a you know, celibate monk. And then Bhakti Marga, the two words prior to that, it's in Sanskrit. Bhakti means devotion and Marga means path. So when you put it all together, uh, the path of devotion or the Swami that takes the path of devotion. So when I was uh, visiting Hawaii a couple of years ago, someone put it to me very clearly, said, well, your name means the walking monk. I said, well, that's pretty much, yeah, the way to, to look at it, yes. So I'm on the trail of bhakti devotion, which is a form of, of yoga. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very devotional meaning a lot of love is demonstrated uh, through acts of kindness and also through acts of devotion, such as uh, chanting mantras uh, in praise of the deity Krishna. And also it involves some puja, which is a kind of simple worship, a kind of rite or ritual and uh, you know, that type of thing. And when it comes to you know, preparing your food, you do it with, a, you put a lot of love into it, and then you offer that to a you know, image of Krishna or a picture of Krishna, and you go for blessing the food, you chant mantras. And these are some ideas or examples of simple acts of devotion, which can be executed by any, any practitioner of yoga, regardless of what path you take. You know? it, just, it. It, just, it just adds a, a nice loving flavor. Mm -hmm. And that actually describes a lot of when I first met you. I uh, went to the Hare Krishna temple in Toronto and my friends and I made sure that we got there with lots of time to kind of look around and just really feel into the space before um, the meal and everything else kind of went underway later on in the day. And I remember, I remember meeting you at the time you were just kind of sitting in your own little uh, sitting room up there and we had a nice conversation. You were very welcoming. You had this really calming energy about you. I didn't know who you were. We just started a conversation, which was great. And uh, you talk about blessing the food and everything. Then going downstairs in the temple space, there was just so much joy in the space itself when the chanting started and everyone was expressing their own even forms of the mantras as they're singing and dancing. And then, of course, followed by the food, which tasted, I think, that much better because it was just filled with all of that love and energy that we had just created. So, uh, yeah, that's a nice way to come full circle to the work that I ended up meeting you through, which is that that devotional work as well. So thank you for that little introduction. That's great. 
So one of the things that I kind of thought about you when I was thinking about this podcast, because we're talking about improving the quality of life and a lot of the clients that I work with right now, especially with COVID going on, they're so caught up in feeling like they're failing in this definition of success that's been conditioned into their mind, that's been you know told to them since they were such a young age. And I've been thinking about these completely different walks of life. You talk about the path of devotion and how different the, the, the Marga, the path of devotion is compared to like the Wall Street Marga or, or something like that. And uh, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about, um, actually, maybe we'll start early on if I don't know this part of your story, but what even brought you to shift your way of viewing the world to seeing the devotional path as being one of pursuit and worth pursuit? Well, I guess, you know, as a young guy growing up in southwestern Ontario on a farm and being raised by parents who are Roman Catholic, mm. there were a few good things that rubbed off on me, you know, and uh, I think like any person who is raised in quiet circumstances, especially during adolescence and you know, talking about the 60s, the swinging 60s, when, you know, the pressure was on to go out there and make a mark in society and, and be loved and show so much love. Um, I just, um, I tried very hard, you know, to uh, take that path. What I considered was the quality in life. And I would say very bluntly, it wasn't working for me. You know, <laughs> Par partyism wasn't doing it. Like uh, going out on, you know, late night, you know, the music, the dance and all that stuff. Uh, a, a little buzz was there, but it wasn't really enough to, to bring about full satisfaction, like a total fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was going, I was not a part-timer, I would say. I wanted to go full-time. Mm -hmm. I wanted body, mind and spirit uh, to be gratified. Uh, to have that experience of, you know, when I felt um, I owed myself. And um, maybe I'm a little bit of an oddball, maybe even a misfit, uh, because I didn't fit into the party animal, you know, that, that kind of genre. I thought, well, let me, let me try the spiritual path. And, you know, in those days, the Beatles were our gods. They were our demigods. And, we honored them and, and they did a little experimentation. They went to India, they went mm -hmm. to uh, Rishikesh and in the Himalayas and uh, their music got influenced, their lifestyles. And those of our generation start to listen to their lyrics, especially good old George uh, Harrison that is, because uh, you have to clarify, some people don't know who <laughs> <laughs> these great Beatles are, mm -hmm. bad war are. So, um, I, um, the, the influence was strong, it was there. Uh, to be radical was cool, to think differently out of the box. And part of that brought me to a point of awakening, uh, I would say some, you know, touching enlightenment at least. Mm -hmm. And um, it had a lot to do with, you know, traveling, walking, meeting people, you know, looking, observing, and seeing where happiness really lied. And I, my conclusion brought me to the point where happiness really has to come from within. Mm. If it's deeply embedded within, then the externals will take care of themselves. You know? So everything starts from the center, you know, pretty much from the heart and the soul, the place of the soul. And then it emanates from there. And mm. uh, I, I was really happy to be connected with some Krishna monks because you know, I saw the connection between them and the Beatles to some degree, the India connection. And um, I just thought, well, what a little that I knew about Indian culture, it's a time-tested, proven kind of culture. It's been around for thousands of years. And um, while I, I do visit India, there's a lot of things I would discard. There's many things I see that we Westerners can embrace. Mm. and hold on to forever. So a big part of that is uh, personalism, if I can use that term, um, building relations with people, kindness. Um, if you uh, have 
someone come to your home, a stranger, uh, it's there, it's kind of embedded into people. Okay, God has come, you know. Mm. Uh, it, it's a very different, you know, approach to what we might be used to, where we're encouraged here in the West to question everything. Who are you? What do you want from me? That, mm. You know, to live in suspicion and fear as opposed to, you know, giving people more the benefit of the doubt. Mind you, I know we need to be careful, cautious, but the whole idea is to strike a balance. Mm. We want to get quality out of life. Then we need to strike a balance and living in fear, uh, living in constant suspicion is, uh, is not what's going to make people satisfied. That ananda or that bliss that where everybody's looking for will not be realized in that kind of environment. So we have to really take some time to notice what is good around me and what is and embrace it, what is bad. Not that we have to reject it, but we can say, thank you for teaching me a few lessons, uh, Mr. Bad. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> uh, you're helping me to become humble and you're helping me to, uh, uh, let's say, uh, you know, look at uh, the world in a, from a different perspective. So uh, I would say those are some of the things that happen for me in transformation. Getting that balance is mm -hmm. just so important. And I think that Jason, you and I talked the other day about the three energies that are mm -hmm. so much outlined in the, in the books of wisdom from India, like the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, the three energies are uh, what we call, you know, Sattva Guna, Rajagun, Tamaguna. Uh, guna means qualities or energy. And uh, Sattva Guna is to be thoughtful, to be introspective. And I think that's something that we need to inculcate into our life more before we say and we do. And we don't do that very much, you know. Everything's a very fast-paced world. You turn on your screen and it's loud noise. Everything's moving so fast, you know. You can't even get your wrap your head around one one little issue. And like it's like the difference between eating too fast and eating at comfort level. Mm. So, you know, I think we have to chew chew the world in a nice, calm fashion, and. Uh, and then we'll we'll be able to benefit from that uh, that case basically. Yeah. I think you you touched on on so much there. One of the quotes that came to mind, I think it's the Dalai Lama. He he said, "There's much more benevolence in the world than malevolence." And when we can shift our perspective to see more of the benevolence, then we can learn to love each other more. And you know, it's true. There is some, I guess, what we can call or identify as bad out there. But if we can shift our, our perspective to recognize that benevolence within each human, which we, within each sentient being, that we open ourselves up to to gain so much more out of this this human experience. So it's really really beautiful to uh, to just kind of shift our perspective to to go back a little bit about what you mentioned on the Gita. Um, one of the the translations that I listened to broke down those 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 gunas through. I think it was the path of goodness, passion, and ignorance. And I remember that being like a really big turning point for me of trying to interpret that because we have this constant uh, phrase in our mind about like ignorance is bliss. And this idea that uh, what I don't know, you know, is, is almost better in a lot of ways. I don't have to worry about it. I don't need to think about it. Whereas when we start to dive into passion and recognizing, okay, Oh, well, I know that this cheesecake isn't something that I need, but it is something that I want, but I'm aware I don't need it. I'm going to eat it anyway. <laughs> it kind of describes so much of our, our human experience. But can you speak to that, that um, a little bit more towards the passion, but also to that path of uh, uh, goodness, or I can't remember what the Sanskrit of, of it is, but. Um... Yeah, uh, goodness is referred to as uh, sattva guna, sattva mm. guna. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's what we need to cultivate. Uh, I agree with you. I believe that there is a lot more goodness in all of us than the uh, malevolence. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's the whatever is negative, it's usually more exterior. It's just uh, on the outside. Uh, what's on the inside is generally 
there's some calmness there and the whole idea is to bring out that 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 better side of you that good side of you of uh, the the negative side just needs to be peeled off like you would a banana you know mm-hmm. you just take the peel off and then you get to that fantastic nutritious banana and that that's all it takes so uh what is negative must be uh torn off and what is positive must be you know must shine and uh in terms of satvaguna the energy of goodness again it uh it it it, it moves in the realm of um wisdom not just hearing about it but also applying it mm. uh, wisdom is called gyanam and then the term for application is called vigyanam application of that wisdom and um it also means to look at to identify when we talk about wisdom at the core of wisdom is a true understanding of yourself our real identity should not be so much for the physical self which is here today gone tomorrow mm. but real wisdom lies in what's permanent what's constant mm-hmm. and that is the spirit within the engine behind the body so in the kind of world that we live in today there is a lot of stress and emphasis that goes on to the physical side how good you look how strong you are how this and that how much potency you have um and that's all fine and dandy but there will come a point in time where it will all wither away mm-hmm. and then what you have left so it's basically what we want to go for in satvagun is to look for long term uh results you know what's going to be good for my myself in the long run not the short run so when we talk about the motive passion or what's referred to as rajagun you're looking at what's going to be tantalizing or what's going to be stimulating for the time being mm-hmm. for right now for this moment and usually those kind of items that we make contact with those objects of sense pleasure you can say that give us a stimulus or stimuli whatever the word is they usually end up frustrating us in the end <laughs> and you'll, <laughs> you'll find that when you take up a little bit of voluntary inconvenience what we call tapasya or austerity mm-hmm. that usually turns into something sweet in the end mm-hmm. So that's another real beautiful phrase from the Bhagavad Gita where Krishna the teacher is saying that which in the beginning seems like poison turns into nectar and that which in the beginning is like nectar turns into poison. Mm, <laughs> I like that. So long term go for the long haul in the end that's what we need to go by. And a, and a metaphor that came to mind there I think about um jumping into a swimming pool on a really hot day and i see this uh when i'm working with a lot of the the coaching clients that i work with and we'll often stand on the edge of the swimming pool feeling uncomfortable feeling like the heat around us but the actual act of jumping in that water knowing that there's even going to be more shock to the system in jumping in our water and jumping in that water and knowing that in the long term it's going to cool down our core temperature and we're going to have a lot more fun once we're there and we're swimming and we see all these other people in there having fun already but that shock to the system of jumping in and feeling that cold often will keep us on the sidelines just keep us in the heat okay i'm fine with the heat i know it it's comfortable i can deal with it because it's familiar but that idea of initial shock and this is my um i don't know using my yoga to try to fit into my everyday life but i literally find myself in those situations i'm like okay tapas 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 just jump in you're going to appreciate it in the long run just demonstrate to yourself that you have a little bit of that that will power uh but it's so much easier said than done our minds our monkey minds are so convincing that we need to think about right now and what makes me feel comfortable right in this moment Yeah and that certainly is the culture that we reside in uh, that which gives immediate benefit 
And that somewhat is detrimental to developing the quality of life for us. And that's, uh, that's, that's a bit of a problem. You know? <laughs> so we, we need to shift energies mm. uh, and uh, think differently and be, be different. And I, uh, I would just say it's a little bit like education, you know, mm. nobody likes to study. Nobody likes to put to be a bookworm and, and be there for so many hours. But in the end, usually end up with a better position. Uh, and, uh, you know, it could be better paying job, but just a happier state. Mm-hmm. comes being a little more learned, a little more educated and so on. But it certainly is no fun in the beginning. No. <laughs> well, it's like meditation. I have so many people that say, oh, you know, meditation, it's so hard for me to get to my to my Zafu or get to my mat sometimes. Like, oh no, most of the time, <laughs> the idea yeah. of going and sitting in meditation is, is grueling. Um, yeah. But what can come from that feeling and knowing the state that you're going to be when you leave that and this more calm, the monkey mind has settled down, all this kind of stuff, you see the long-term benefits of it. Not that we're going into it with a goal per se, but it almost rewrites the script when we've had enough experience of what the outcome is on the other side. Right. Better to have, better to have the meditation than to have the medication. I like that one. I might have to, might have to steal that one. <laughs> Uh, so for those that don't really know, because I don't know many people that have the opportunity to, or they feel like it's too, too foreign to actually engage in conversations with people walking other walks of life, whether it be uh, a Swami or, or just sometimes people who are walking different paths than they are. What does, what does an average week look like for someone who is walking the bhakti yoga path, the bhakti marga? Well, uh, it looks something like this. You rise early in the morning. For myself, it's 4 a.m. And then taking a shower and just sort of uh, washing off that uh, sort of ignorance factor, Mm. (laughs) sleepiness, and and that just driving away the, uh, what we call the quality of uh, ignorance, you know, the the third energy that we mentioned. Mm. And then... uh, and then putting on comfortable clothes, you know, I've got my own traditional attire and then coming into a room of meditation where, where there's a few other people there and we're all, you know, singing bhajans uh, in praise of the universe, uh, the divine uh, guru and so on. And uh, so that goes on for a bit. We also spend a little time chanting on our mala, that's meditational beads and uh, concentrating on the sound vibration, which is not an ordinary sound, uh, but it's, uh, you can say it's transported from a spiritual realm. Mm. And then uh, we take a little time to uh, also sit down and look at one of the great verses from a book called the Srimad Bhagavatam and discuss it. And then we'll have some breakfast. That brings us to around 8.30 in the morning. Uh, I'm not a breakfast eater. I have no digestive power at that time. Mm. I will, I will t- wait till noon. So I'm involved in, um, I have responsibilities across Canada for our various centers. So I just kind of keep track of everybody, see how they're doing uh, with their, um, with their keeping up the spiritual standards and offering a lot of encouragement. One t- sometimes a little bit of counseling. And uh, I do go for uh, a good walk every day, like literally walking, not just talking about walking or, you know, when we say walking the talk, mm-hmm. uh, talking about physically walking and uh, try to take care of myself that way. And um, usually we have another class in the evening. We do a little chanting and meditation, even outside our building, right on the, we call it staircase kirtan. Kirtan mm-hmm. is having a little song and uh, we do it right on the stairwell, not too loud. So the neighbors won't be irritated. And then, uh, you know, I, I do things, I do, I'm doing some writing. I'm writing about a book on my walking experiences. And um, a lot of it is to like maintaining a, a community, uh, working with the monks inside and, um, you know, some cleaning because I feel that's a very big part of the internal cleansing is uh, comes about by the external cleansing. Uh, you'll find that 
like there was great saints like Chaitanya, he was quite a bhakti yogi and he would make a big deal about spending a little time every day just going for that cleanse. And, and I'll give you an example. When I was, I walked across the US and I did Canada four times. When I got to Chicago, an acquaintance, he kind of did some shiatsu and massage on me. And while he was working on me, he said, you know, because really when you're doing 40 kilometers a day, you actually need to have a little, you know, someone to work on the machinery a bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he said something that really rang true for me, and which is kind of like old school wisdom. Someone had asked him, hey, how do I get a good body, an you know, upper body? I want that, a great build, you know, I want to get attention, blah, blah, blah. So my uh, massage therapist, he, his advice to the fellow was, so what you do is uh, clean the house, uh, work in your garden, eat lots of greens, and go for a walk. So then the, the client insisted, uh, no, 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 I, you don't quite understand. Um, I, wanna, I wanna really look good. I wanna be big up in the upper area. <laughs> so again, my friend, the massage therapist, he said, what you do is if you wanna have a good body and a good balance in life is that uh, clean the house or clean portion of the house, uh, work in your garden, eat lots of greens, and go for a walk. He just reiterated the point. Mm -hmm. well, simple stuff, simple, simple stuff that that allows for incredible introspection. You know, and so the cleansing, inside outside, yeah, eating well, um, you know, all those things aforementioned is uh, is the way to go. I don't know if I answered your question. I rambled on a little bit. <laughs> no, it's great. I love it. You you answered some and you brought up others, but I, I really appreciate <laughs> what you're saying. And I find personally the challenge for some of that is the internal dialogue, the internal narrative. Like I own a, a yoga studio here. And especially now in between each of the classes, we've got to make sure that we wash the floor good, clean everything good. And there's you know specific regulations for that. But I remember when I first got into the pattern of washing the floor, it was first the mentality of get in there, get it done. And I would maybe do it in like five minutes, but that five minutes was grueling. And then I shifted my mentality and said, okay, well, I have to do this anyway. Can I enjoy this process? So I would put on some, some music and usually some kirtan through the, the stereo system. And as I was washing the floor, I would start chanting. And now it would take me like 10 minutes to wash the floor, but I would feel so much better coming on the other side of it. And I'd have a whole like smile on my face the whole time I'm doing it. And I feel like that's so much of the challenge combating some of the conditioning is because we're not told nor do we believe that it's okay to take time with things like that it's always like get through it as quickly as possible get it done so we can move on to the next thing not knowing that actually embracing some of these things can turn them into an enjoyable part of our daily experience yeah so what you're talking about right now is that second energy or quality uh which is referred to as rajagun mm. get it done fast so you can move on to something else fast and this way you're just moving so fast and going nowhere <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so the whole idea is to you know enjoy your work if, if people in general can get to the point of just enjoying their work whether it's on an assembly line or you know whether it's pushing buttons or whether you're an entertainer or a sports figure just really enjoy the stuff and not what comes at the end, not the recognition so mm -hmm. much, not the paycheck at the end, but it's really, you know, what you make of during the course of the day. Like, you know, and a lot of that comes about, I believe the joy of work is from the, what you establish in the workplace with your coworkers. Mm -hmm. And uh, or and uh, I believe we are because we are so much social animals. We really need to work on that a lot more, you know. Mm. And and uh, that that is a big fear I have personally about the world in which we live. Um, you know, I, there should be no fear about saying good morning to people mm. uh, and leaving them with a big smile because 
that again, like that old school message really does make a big difference in the person's day. I would say a good stretched out smile with some word of encouragement from someone can probably allow a person to go for half a day, you know, being more productive, more optimistic and so on like that, you know? So I think we, we should not see our um, human or fellow humans to be a drudgery or to be a, a handicap, but to be those people that we bounce our energies off of, you know, the happy hormones exploding from each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, we talked on, about this a little bit when we were on the phone uh, last week, I think. But one of the one of the main stressors that I end up talking to people about comes down to relationship. And it's mm -hmm. interesting when we think about like, I think uh, Titnan Han, I think he has a couple books on relationships. And again, here's a monk that um, has taken a, a life of celibacy. But when we understand that relationship takes so many forms and relating to people takes so many forms, we can learn so much from just the way we say good morning to someone and overcoming whatever those obstacles are that make us feel like we can't have that conversation. I think the Dalai Lama um, once said that, because someone asked him, well, what, you know, as a, as a celibate monk, you know, don't you feel lonely? Don't you feel like you miss people and all of this kind of stuff? And I think he, his response was something in lines with, well, I feel like I'm in relationship with every person I, I see on the street, every person that I interact with, every person that I, I pass by, smile and wave to, I'm in relationship with them. How could I be lonely if I'm surrounded by family everywhere? And it's really interesting to kind of shift our perspective because I see with people that I know, especially now, this is a hard time with COVID, but say you decide to engage in a romantic relationship with someone. So you've said like, okay, here's one person in my life now that I'm going to be intimate with on some level. I'm going to be friendly with, I'm going to speak honestly and openly with, but then I'm going to shut out the rest of the world. And if I'm in an elevator with someone, I'm going to pretend that I'm you know, looking down at my watch or pretend that I'm looking at my phone so I don't have to interact with them. Whereas, and I'm sure you can speak to this a lot better than, than myself, whereas when we open ourselves up to being in relationship with everybody and relating openly and honestly with everybody, that the moments that can be created are, are quite magical there. Right. I, I agree with you 100%. And also what the Dalai Lama was saying in regards to, uh, you know, having a relationship with everybody around you. Uh, I know when I took sannyas, became a Swami back in 84, uh, for me it meant, okay, everyone's my brother, my sister, my cousin, and uncle, uh, mm. my kids, you know, uh, whereas uh, if you do go by the traditional families, uh, well, it's a very limited number. <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah, I love that way of looking at it because there's so many people who get down on themselves when they are, say, single. Like, I, again, I have a lot of clients that are, you know, maybe in their 40s or something and saying, you know, what am I doing with my life? I'm still single. And the, so much of their success in life is driven with this idea of I need to couple off, I need to partner off. And so I kind of, I bring up sometimes like other walks of life, like living a, as a Swami and say, you know, what do you believe that a Swami would say the, the goal in life is if not to couple off and find that monogamous relationship? So this was actually something that I asked you when we had our last phone call. And I loved the answer that you gave was, uh, and, and again, maybe you can correct me if I'm saying this wrong, but you said to leave here cleaner. And I loved how simple that was because it speaks volumes, but yet lives, leaves you with just enough that you need to sit down and think about what the heck is he talking about? Leave here cleaner. <laughs> so I was wondering if maybe you could speak into that a little bit before I I bombard you with questions about all of your walks, but I wanted to touch on that first. Sure. Well, I think it's everyone's experience that as we live and move around in life, we're not alone. We've got all kinds of little, little creatures crawling around inside of us in the form of little demons, you know, little desires, and they come in the shape of lust and anger and greed. And, you know, we don't like them. We don't like them hanging around. We wish, they would listen to us and they don't 
command us and tell us what to do. So uh, I, I think what most people want to get out of life is uh, to make that exit peacefully mm. and to not leave it with that clutter. The clutter is those things, you know, the greed, uh, having what I don't want. Well, what do you want? How much do you want? And then, of course, the mind says, you'll never have enough. Mm. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the anger and, you know, some of these particular, uh, let's say, uh, fellows that hang around inside. Um, when we exit from this world in what we call mrityu or death, uh, we want to be able to have a clean exit. You know, if there's a fire, uh, you know, you don't want to have anything clogged by the fire door because mm. smoke will come. The only thing you'll see is the exit sign and you don't want to have like all kinds of furniture, you know, stuck in the way of that doorway. So you want to make a clean run for getting out and breathing, maybe breathing for the first time. So uh, I would say that that's, you know, where we need to go is uh, address uh, the uh, the little demons that are within and uh, uh, send them on their way, you know? I love that. that. I love it so much. <laughs> I'm gonna, no one can see, but I have like the biggest smile on my face. I'm just geeking out over here because I, I love <laughs> diving into this stuff. And it, it brought to mind when, when you're doing fire drills and they tell you, if you hear the sounds of the alarm, leave everything behind. Don't grab your laptop. Don't grab this. Don't grab that. Leave it all behind and head for the fire exit. And yet that's not what we do. As soon as the idea of the fire alarm going off, which may be you know, the first signs of sickness or something like that, we try to latch on to everything that much more closely. We grab onto all of these false identities. We put them in a giant backpack that just doesn't let us fit through that door. And I, I just love that analogy that you, you gave there. Thank you so much for that. Um, while I'm keeping an eye on, on the time, I, I feel like we can have a podcast with the, the walking monk without talking about some of your your walks. So you you kind of talked a little bit about it when you were at first describing the name and saying you are the walking monk, but that became very literal in in your actual journey in life. So you you hinted at it that you've walked across Canada four times. You walked across the state um, once. First, I guess, where did that motivation come from? Well, uh, I understood from the beginning from all my readings and a little bit of a Catholic upbringing, you know, being a admirer of Francis of Assisi and so on. Like, it means taking up a vow of poverty and to lead a simple life and to not be you know, bogged down with, again, <laughs> accessories and possessions. Mm. So uh, not even having a car, although on my walks, I did have a support person who would, you know, had the time on his hands and, and it would always be a him, not a she, because I'm a Swami, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so it, uh, my motivation behind these walks was, well, let, let me live it up then to, to that standard, uh, that quality of life. And let's take the simple route. Like Gandhi used to say, simple living, high thinking. So uh, let me put that into practice. And back in 95, I had contemplated that my guru would have been 100 years old in 96. So everyone's celebrating in a certain way. And I thought, let me do something in a unique way. And let me get out there and get up close to nature, the elements, be exposed to the elements, learn detachment, you know, address the little demons within by being somewhat alone and, um, and get connected with the media uh, I had a little more control of my dietary habits and, and uh, just have a good workout and uh, see the country, which I love so much. You know? mm. I'm a patriotic monk. I must admit that. <laughs> <laughs> you can have your love. You can have your passions for your, the place where you live. So um, I did that. And instantly, it was, I felt very much at home. Mm. The, the world is my home. And the, the people are my, you know, family members. And that, uh, you know, I, I wanted to see the sun every day and the moon. And uh, that the carpet is the gravel underneath me. And, and that the, the trees are my walls. 
and that the ceiling is the sky. Mm. And uh, a very liberating kind of sensation. And I, I believe I benefited all around uh, from taking up to that practice. And I also got inspiration from people like Gandhi, my own guru, and all the Swamis of the past, before Henry Ford did his assembly line, you know, dynamic, everyone was forced to walk, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is what we are wired for, what we're made for, to, to use the legs, which are, you know, half of ourselves, half of our makeup. And uh, so I feel that, uh, you know, I, my message was to let's, let's get back to the walking culture. Let's get to, it take some time to get down to the basics, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, get away from our, our machines, give them a break and give myself a break by uh, just uh, breathing in the good air and, uh, and meeting all the fantastic people out there. How long? Well, to do Canada, if you're going to go straight across, um, you would be looking at six months at Mm. about 40 kilometers a day. If you're talking about doing various branches of the Trans-Canada Highway, which would be Highway 7 that runs through, you know, southern Ontario, you'd be adding an extra month. Mm -hmm. So... um, uh, same thing with the U.S., uh, Canada a little bit longer because our highway is a little longer and our, uh, you know, but it would, that's what you're looking at, you know. And, and that's what blows my mind about this again is like the idea, and, and this is where it kind of switches up because if we can associate it with education, people will say like, okay, yeah, you know, you're taking a, a degree program, four years for that education. Sure, I can set, slice out that time for that but we have to justify it in a way that is, well, you know, I'm gaining something that's going to help me further in life, but with education in that regards, it's external. So it seems more tangible because we get that certificate at the end of it. Whereas if you ask someone, you know, how do you feel about taking a six months uh, to walk across Canada? Not only will they be filled with narratives of like canned and can't and my body, you know, it's programmed, yada, yada, all this kind of stuff, but it would seem for, I think, honestly, as a, as a waste of time for a lot of people. But where you're talking about, you know, looking at some of those demons and, and getting in touch with yourself, like, to me, that is like the greatest university of nature, the university of the road. And you might not end up with a little piece of paper at the end of it that says, congratulations, um, Bhakti Margaswami, you've, you've, you've done it. But if you want one, I'll give it to you. But um, <laughs> it's, there's so much more education there. And yet, to justify that is so much more difficult in this culture that we live in. Well, you're absolutely right. And perhaps we need to make some shifts and maybe COVID-19 is forcing that to some degree Mm. to go back to simplicity and value what you have so much and not get so much into acquiesce and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, accumulation of things, but value what's out there there's a lot to learn out there like if you take the the traditional scenario of a yogi sitting down with this five or six or half of the maybe a dozen students it's under a tree and a point see this what's going on over here and see what's going on over there <laughs> you know there's just a lot more to be learned by being out there than i would say staying indoors all the time in a square room mm-hmm. and by a square desk in front of a square screen, wearing square clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I See, totally agree. Nature provides curves and textures and smells and tastes that, that enliven the different knowledge-acquiring senses, the eyes, the nose, the mouth, mm-hmm. the ears. They all become kind of enlightened. So it's not that we want to become educated. That's not where success lies. Mm-hmm. It lies in enlightenment, right? Mm-hmm. Even, even if you can't make the grade to the level where you want, you know, even a little bit enlightenment is better than many uh, degrees coming from in some institution. Mm-hmm. And as Mark Twain once said, never let school get in the way of your education. I love it. Well, one of the <laughs> things that you talked about early on uh, when you talked about going to, to India and 
the the takeaways that could be brought back and and just by looking at a culture living so differently. I remember for myself being in Nepal, one of the biggest takeaways, which gave me actually culture shock when I came back to North America, because I was in India first for, well, Thailand first for a while, then India, and then in Nepal, and I got like further away from people. Um, so it made it a little bit more jarring when I came back. But one of the things we stayed at a, a little tea house in the mountains in Nepal, and it was so cute because they tried to westernize to a degree. So they made a menu. And on this menu, it was handwritten. There was only two items. And it was, uh, they called it like morning glory with garlic or something, I think is how it translates. And then the other one was like a squash dish. And it was only two items on the menu. My wife and I go in and we say, oh, okay, this sounds great. Um, we'll, we'll have the morning glory. And they looked at each other and they ended up with through translation saying like, oh, our morning glory crop, it didn't come up this year. There's basically, and then we're like, okay, no, it's fine. It's fine. We'll have the squash. And they're like, no, 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 no. And so they walk out of their place. They go to like the neighboring little section of houses on the mountain where their morning glory came up and they made a deal with these people and they gave them some of their squash and they got some of this morning glory and they came back and they cooked it up for us and it was delicious. And there was multiple lessons in that one experience because we were so immersed in it. One is there's no going to the supermarket or anything like that. These people are solely dependent on, you know, either their ability to share in community um, or what they can grow themselves, but two, how far out of the way, like you say, when, when somebody comes, see them as a gift, like God has come to your doorstep in a way. And these people were so willing to go out of their way for complete strangers who happened to just walk up their mountain one day. There was no calling ahead and saying, hey, so I'm this Canadian guy. I'm going to be uh, stopping in, hopefully have a place for me or something like that. But so willing to, to share and wanted to hear about our experiences. And, and yet you'll see them at the end of the day, just sitting on the side of the mountain and looking at the view that they've seen day in and day out since they were, you know, just we children and just cherishing the world that they live in. Mm -hmm. And yet in our society, it's so much of the grass is greener on the other side. Right, right. I love the setting that you just presented before us. And yeah, that <laughs> simplicity is uh, something that we need to value uh, mm. and really have a hard look at. And so that's what I gleaned from, you know, the walking experiences and going more for less complicated, complications in life and more for simplicity and again connecting with people you know and mm. building up relations like it would happen in the course of a day i'll be walking and you know motorists will find me pretty interesting because you don't see too many guys in robes from a distance <laughs> i look like a, a moving traffic cone or something <laughs> and then as they get a little closer they say oh it's a monk <laughs> i never met a monk before so then they start talking what do you do um, can you can i'll give me a ride and he said no i'm, I'm uh, walking across the country so really what for well it's first kind of spiritual healing and uh then they appreciate that how many pairs of shoes what kind of shoes are you wearing over there they get into the practical stuff and then then if there's a little bit of a pause or a gap, uh, you know, where we kind of a standstill. Uh, so how are things doing in your relationship back home or whatever? And then, oh, now you've got onto something really important, you know, for them. And so again, relationships are important. And, uh, and also the place in which you live and, um, you know, cultivating those, those aspects. So, yeah, I, I gained a lot. Uh, I, I would say that the elements kicked a little bit of humility in me, uh, you know, the, whether it was this, the harsh topsail gale ripping across the prairies or mm. uh, going through a snowstorm in, uh, in Quebec or just dealing with rain for eight hours of the day, you know. Mm -hmm. I'd say, uh, oh, and then it's just you and hearing the pitter-patter of the raindrops against your plastic raincoat, you know, <laughs> and what you have, it's just you and, and the rain and, uh, and maybe like a mantra, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that will keep you engaged, you know. I think that's one thing that's really key to bring about, bringing about a quality in life is keeping busy, keeping engaged. After all, we're all uh, little bees and we're, we have to make our honey, you know. 
<laughs> I love it. And this whole thing has tasted very sweet. Um, I just want to be cognizant of the the time. But if someone wanted to learn, because I feel like a, you know, you, you talked about someone seeing this walking or <laughs> this walking construction pile on or something like that. But oftentimes people do feel intimidated if they were to see uh, a monk or to see a temple or something like that. So if someone wanted to learn more about these different ways of life or to go and check out a Hare Krishna temple or something like that, is there anything that people need to know as far as taking that first step into, into yeah, learning more things about what's out there in life? I think it's just like little personal touch can make a difference. Um, I would say, you know, visit a temple, come inside, overcome any inhibitions, we're, it's, it's funny, you know, we're so eager to, to dive in like, like moths into the fire. There's some attraction into the, the world of sense gratification. When it comes to moving into a zone or an area, which is for, uh, for enlightenment, you know, then that we're not as accustomed to. We become a little leery about uh, stepping in such a zone. So I'd say overcome it and... Uh, um, I'm certainly personally happy to talk to anybody uh, about anything in life. I, anything under the sun is fine by me. And uh, so people can contact me or, and I can certainly point people in a certain direction. If I'll even be, well, here's the deal. Uh, <laughs> I'd be willing to go for a walk with you and we could talk and walk. I love it. So you are you're in the the temple within Toronto. So if someone wanted to uh, if someone wanted to get a, in touch with you or to go visit the temple, how do they find information about that? Well, they can just give me a call or it can be emailed. Um, I don't know how you want to get that information out, but mm -hmm. it's bhaktimarkaswami at gmail.com and then I, I do have a phone number and I could leave that with you as well. Uh, and uh, I guess that's the best way to, to start. You know? I'll link your, uh, I'll definitely link your email into the, the comments of, of this podcast, but it's been, it's been so great. Um, I feel like I could go on and uh, keep talking to you. I, I definitely want to take you up on that walk some point in time, hit up the Bruce trail or, or something along <laughs> those lines. Uh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking this time and chatting with me today. Thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you so much. I'll take you up on that. And to and say, when you talk about not being a party animal, I have been at the temple during Kirtan, and I say that some of the, <laughs> there's definitely some, some form of party going on there whenever you have a chance to hang out with the Hare Krishna monks. So <laughs> thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye, Bye for now. Hare Krishna.